Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast. I'm your host, Grace Osborne. Thank you for joining me on this exciting journey. Hi folks, compliments of the season to everyone and a wonderful Christmas in advance. In today's episode of Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, I have the pleasure of introducing the boss-up lady of DAA, that is Domestic Abuse Alliance, Rosie Watson. She's the External Operations Manager. Welcome, Rosie. Hello, Grace. It's great to be here, and the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing your platform um, and your listeners' time as well to, you know, let us tell you a little bit more about our work and to take part in a wider conversation, hopefully today, around violence against women. Great to be here. You're welcome. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and um, how you started working with um, Domestic Abuse Alliance, DAA? Yeah, absolutely. So I started working with uh, the DA Alliance uh, back in um, 2020, so um, during the pandemic. Um, I came on board uh, to support Razzie and the team with external communications um, and operations. Um, it was a time where they had recently rolled out the uh, We Protect service, which I can tell you a little bit more about in a moment, uh, to Cambridgeshire Police. Um, and there was an imminent rollout of the We Protect as well with Hertfordshire Police. So the team was building, the business was growing. It was a really exciting time to come on board. Um, I have a background in communications uh, within policing and criminal justice, so it was a great fit. And I'm still still here over a year later and uh, no plans to go anywhere, anywhere soon. Well, that's quite interesting. Oh, so you have a background in um, communications and working with uh, uh, the criminal justice system. Apart from joining um, DAA, where else have you done any work? Uh, so previously uh, to the Domestic Abuse Alliance, I've worked in communications um, for over 20 years now, and that's been a mixture of um, business to business and business to consumer uh, communications, but more recently within uh, the policing and criminal justice sector. So that's uh, working on the operational side of policing and also within a police and crime commissioner's office as well. So uh, more work around policy uh, and, um, and uh, community engagement. So can you um, tell us the roles the Domestic Abuse Alliance play in the lives of survivors of domestic violence? Yeah, sure. So in a nutshell, the DA Alliance brings together organizations who work on the front line of tackling abuse with the legal sector to provide immediate legal assistance to anyone who's experiencing domestic abuse. So we've developed a piece of technology called We Protect. It's a free-to-use app. Um, as an example, it could sit on a police officer's phone um, and they can make a referral to our service uh, with the person's full consent from the scene of a domestic abuse incident. And we undertake within 24 hours to 
give that person a call back, talk them through their situation, explain their legal rights, and together we agree um, an immediate course of action to help them secure protection. I know you work with a law firm, um, the family division of a law firm. I can't, can you tell me the name? It's eluded me now. Sure. We, well, we work with a network of legal partners, actually. Um, that includes um, firms such as Morgan Wiseman Solicitors um, and others across the country because we work with police forces up and down the country as well. And where possible, we try and provide local legal representation for um, anyone who's referred to our service in those areas. So do you work with the police all over the UK or a specific area in the UK? We have the capacity to work with police forces across England and Wales, um, and that's very much part of our um, organic growth plan as an organisation. Um, and we're in, uh, we currently work with um, Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire Police, uh, so they, all of their frontline officers refer to our service. And we're in conversation with a number of other police forces across the country who are interested in um, using our WeProtect technology. We also actually work with a number of victim um, support services and IDVA services, so um, organisations who provide specialist practical and emotional support to anyone who's experiencing domestic abuse. They may also refer into our service if somebody that they are working with uh, requires some legal support. I'm aware that you work with uh, the mental health sector, MIND. Yeah, one of our referral partners and... Actually, um, the, the conversation around mental health is a very um, timely one, particularly during the pandemic. And, the, uh, you know, as I said, the majority of our referrals come from um, police and IDVA services. But what we do know is that it will take somebody probably over two years of experiencing abuse before they report it to the police. And actually... Um, uh, although police receive a, um, a report of a domestic abuse incident, I think it's every 30 seconds um, across the country, it's massively underreported crime. And in fact, it's estimated that only 24% of all domestic abuse is actually reported to police. So when you talk about mental health, it's a very important point, because we know, um, talking about women now who experience abuse, often likely to suffer from mental health issues, depression, anxiety, as you would imagine, being in um, a very uh, um, distressing, vulnerable situation when they're experiencing abuse. So something we're exploring now uh, is what other services, apart from the police and IDVA services, could we work with to help identify abuse before it um, becomes a police matter? Because that means we could potentially provide a legal lifeline to somebody much sooner. So when we talk about mental health, we're talking about NHS, um, we're talking to NHS mental health services, talking to social care services, school nurses, college nurses, um, uh, education, housing. We know that um, those experiencing domestic abuse and violence um, often find themselves homeless. Um, it's the only way that they can escape the abuse. So how can the housing sector and the private legal sector work together um, to provide that legal support to, to women and men when they need it most. It's quite a broad spectrum, uh, the other organisations you work with or collaborate with. 
It is, and I think actually that's been accelerated. That exploration has been accelerated by the pandemic. Um, and you know, you and I talked about this on email before. Um, you know, before we we spoke today, and I think one of you know domestic abuse during the pandemic has been described as a pandemic within a pandemic. Um, and I don't think anyone working within this sector is surprised, yes, deeply saddened by the increase um, in domestic abuse during, you know, during the, um, the global uh, COVID pandemic. It, it, it created a perfect storm, you know, um, it created uncertainty, stress, fear, anxiety, you know, these are all uh, senses that we know in an abusive situation can lead to further abuse. Um, there was unemployment, sickness, you know, of course, during um, during the pandemic, and not only unemployment, so you might have had an abusive relationship where two people could have both found themselves unemployed during that time, particularly if they were working in hospitality or one of the other industries um, which had to close down completely during lockdown, but also for those who remained in employment, their, um, their home became their workplace. So where once they might have had a safe place to escape to every day, suddenly people were trapped in their home 24-7 with an abuser. And if that abuser had found themselves unemployed, they were at home potentially all day. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, um, the perfect storm. Um, but two things the pandemic has shown us, um, particularly, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of academic research into domestic abuse and the police response to domestic abuse during the pandemic. And two kind of key themes that come up are the use of technology and how that can be, um, how technology can be deployed um, to, to better support those experiencing abuse. Um, and also the role that employers can play in identifying abuse and supporting those within the workplace. Reflecting on what you've just said, I remember I did a, a podcast last week about cyber abuse, stalking and harassment and the app that was developed for women who are walking alone at night. Do you think that is uh, something that could be rolled out, uh, not in England and Wales alone, but internationally? to help women who've gone through uh, any form of um, abuse? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we have um, a very responsive 999 service um, in the UK, which, you know, uh, we're all very grateful for. But there's absolutely a role that technology can play in helping to keep people safe, but also helping people feel safe as well and there are some great apps out there some great personal safety apps out there um and you know some amazing technology out there that enables those apps to do a number of things such as uh, track an individual's movements make an emergency call by shaking the tele by shaking the mobile phone to the emergency services they can you can capture evidence um some amazing evidence capture apps out there as well um, so even if somebody doesn't want to make a call to the police, for whatever reason that may be, there's still an opportunity to capture evidence, um, to journal, uh, to capture a story, to capture a witness statement even um, within these apps. So yes, I mean, they're absolutely 
um, they're vital in helping to tackle domestic abuse. In fact, I was reading something just this week about an organisation who's using developed VR technology, virtual reality technology, um, and that's been trialled by the Met Police in London. Um, and it's providing a different perspective for officers. So the, the technology is helping see abuse through somebody else's eyes and understand and helping inform officers about how they can engage with those who are experiencing abuse and understand it from a different perspective. And that technology is even being used um, with perpetrators of abuse to show them the impact of abuse on those um, that they're perpetrating it against. Um, and that's been shown to have um, some very promising results in changing that um, abusive behaviour. That's quite um, innovative. Hopefully you'll be giving me a link to that uh, particular article. Absolutely, no problem. What are your views on recent trends on femicide, taking in cognizance the death of Sarah Everard? Yes, I mean, um, you know, the tragic death of Sarah Everard and also um, Sabina Nessa um, more recently. Um, I mean, those two deaths in, in particular, and I say two deaths because it's quite poignant that actually two women every week in this country... Um, will um will be killed um from from some form of abuse and you know that is not a number that our organization or indeed i don't think any member of the public would be comfortable hearing about or letting continue um so if anything positive can come out of those young women's death it's that we've started a nationwide conversation around violence against women. Um, and it's a conversation that now goes beyond the sector um, and into wider society. Um, and it's also started a conversation around confidence in the police and the police response and what um, statutory services, what more can they do to support women? I don't know if you've seen it, Grace, but there's a campaign launched last week by um, Andy Burnham. It's a video campaign, actually, but it's specifically around um, violence against women. Um, uses the hashtag, is this okay? And it, it shows um, the story, takes you through the story of a young woman who um, shows her being sexually harassed on social media, um, shows her out jogging, um, on the receiving end of some very inappropriate comments from um, from men walking um, walking as she runs past them in the park, uh, it shows her coming out of a coffee sh a coffee shop and um, and her out at night, and it shows the impact of that um, that abuse and intimidation, and asks the question, do you think this is okay? And you know it that that video had over a million views within 24 hours. It's been shared. Uh, widespread over social media and by the mainstream media as well and you know it's challenging um, challenging uh, men's conversations and behavior towards women um, so there has been I think you know I think we should feel hopeful um, that there will be some change for the better around that but until those statistics are not two women a week um, there's, 
we have to there's more work to be done we can't stop you're quite correct there's certainly more work to be done so um with regards to what you've just said now and to other things you mentioned earlier on what services does um the domestic um abuse alliance uh, provide currently and in the near future what would you be doing so we have um, broadly speaking we have three services under the domestic abuse alliance umbrella so the first is we protect which is the app um, that can be used by police officers and any um, frontline services to refer anyone who's experiencing domestic abuse to our service for legal support and we have a team of trained call handlers and caseworkers who respond to those referrals and help um, help clients um, seek protection measures, whether that's, and that can be a range of things. Sometimes it can just be some general advice about what legal options are available to someone. And, and sometimes, often, that is enough uh, to empower somebody to make, to make the break. It gives them the element, one of our caseworkers said this to me this week that sometimes just having that information is the element of hope that they need that there is an escape from this situation um, if a project we can also we say we have a network of legal partners that I mentioned earlier and we work with them to seek emergency um, protection orders when those are required so things like non molestation orders um, um, which can be served on a respondent, so sought through the family court, served on a respondent to um, so that they are unable um, to uh, to be uh, with or in proximity of that person anymore. Okay. We also have two other services. One is called We Process. This is a service for legal firms. Um, it speeds up the process of serving um, an order on a respondent. So everything is automated and done, carried out electronically. If you know anything about process serving, it's a very antiquated process. It's all done by hand, by phone, by conversation. So this is a way of speeding up that process once the order has been granted. And the third service is We Translate. This is a very new service, um, so you won't find too much out about it online, but um, if anyone wants to contact me to talk about it, I'm very happy to. Um, and this is a service um, that provides a network or access to a network of translators and interpreters um, for anyone who comes into contact with our service uh, for whom English may not be their um, first language. Earlier on, we, we did, um, or you did discuss the fact that the pandemic, um, domestic violence went over the roof about 300 percent it was reported in the news so um how would you say the pandemic affected your organization the running of the organization during the pandemic so we absolutely um saw an increase in the number of referrals um that we were receiving during the pandemic I mean, fortunately, we have built a business um, on a model that enables us to easily upscale our operations to meet demand. So we have um, a flexible sized team of core handlers and case workers who we are able to deploy um, very quickly um, to meet um, increased demand. 
Um, so we've, you know, we uh, we were able, um, you know, to to uh, to service that demand um, during the pandemic. Um, but you know, the the upward trend, as it has been over the last few years, is that um, you know there there is an increase in reports of domestic violence, and actually that isn't um, that isn't. A positive that can be taken out of that is that people, more people are now coming forward or feel more confident, we hope, to report and disclose domestic violence, whether that's to the police or actually to a support service, to an employer, to their hairdresser even. You know, there's a very successful campaign, the Cut It Out campaign, which was launched by Northamptonshire Police, working with local hair salons, hairstylists. Um, because, you know, we've all been there in the hairdresser's chair. Um, you, st- you you share a lot with your hairdresser, right? That's, That's true. probably more than mine would, <laughs> mine would care, to, care to have had. That's true. Um, <laughs> we see our hairdressers um, as part of our family members. Absolutely. That's absolutely it. And um, that Cut It Out campaign, you know, this again, you know, when I mentioned the, the range of other services um, that we're talking to, doesn't even it doesn't you know these services don't have to begin and end at statutory services hairdressers you know there's all beauticians i imagine are the same kind of thing you know when we get our nails done or um you know something or have some kind of beauty treatment you're you're in a safe environment you're happy to be there and there's something about that interaction you're often in a room with a lot of other women as well there's safety in numbers there and often those conversations come more naturally in those environments so um you know i i I guess i would urge anyone in any organization in any sector if you know if if you feel you you know you can play a part um, in supporting or helping to identify those who may be at, um, at risk of abuse or even suffering abuse already, you know, to ask yourself, what, you know, what can I do to help? And we talked about this on White Ribbon Day recently, um, and, you know, we've touched on it earlier in our conversation today, Grace, around how do we end violence against women? And I think, you know, it's one of these things that we see being played out in the media it feels massive and as individuals I imagine a lot of people say well what can I do but actually start a conversation that's something we can all do is to start a conversation because actually talking about violence against women about abuse that's what can lead to action and action leads to change so we all have a part to play um, just by simply starting a conversation You're quite right, Rosie, because I went through domestic um, violence and I took an action, started my podcast, and it's leading to more um, actions being taken by other people. Thank you for that statement. Uh, Would you let me know or would you tell us if you have any close friend who's gone through any form of um, domestic abuse, friend or family members? Yeah, I do have experience of abuse within my social circles. And actually, until I came to work within this sector, within this specific sector, even having had a background in policing, I was probably not as awake to abuse and what it meant and the many forms that it can take as I am now. And actually, 
something, you know, the introduction of the Domestic Abuse Act this year has played a very important part in expanding the definition of abuse. I, you know, I think in many circles, there's still this perception that domestic abuse is physical violence. So unless one of your friends is sporting a black eye or is maybe wearing long sleeves or appearing to cover up some bruising, then, then they're not experiencing abuse. And actually, we know now that there are many forms of abuse. Um, so coercion, control, uh, financial abuse, yeah. tech abuse now. I mean, and this is the negative side of technology. I've talked today about how it positively can be used yeah. um, to tackle domestic abuse. Unfortunately, there's a very negative side to technology and how it is being used by perpetrators to, um, to, to um, perpetrate abuse. Um, so yes, I would say that certainly my my awareness of abuse and what abuse is um, has increased, and and I don't know maybe if if it's um, a result of having you know now worked in this sector for quite a while that perhaps some friends feel more comfortable um, sharing experiences with me, um, but I'm also very. Um, I'm very mindful about calling out abuse um, until somebody is happy to have that conversation with me in a safe um, environment um, and when they are ready to do so. Okay, so you see yourself as an advocate in a way. Um, I would hope. Um, I, I would hope so, and um, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think also women. Are starting to recognize abusive behaviors more now and perhaps even reflecting on previous relationships where they can now identify unhealthy behavior um, both within themselves and within their partners that could um, potentially lead to abuse um, as well and I, so I think um, this expansion of the definition of abuse is is making people open their eyes um, to exactly what domestic abuse is and what behaviours they, they may need to address in themselves. So the um, inclusion of cohesion, control and trusteeship in the Domestic uh, Violence Act 2021 has made uh, people more aware of what abuse is. So what would you recommend for women to rise above abuse? I think I would say, if at all possible, please seek support. And whether that is, um, and, and I guess this goes back to starting a conversation, anyone who is experiencing abuse, please, please consider starting a conversation with someone about that. It doesn't have to be a statutory service if you're not ready to take that step. Um, although there are a number of amazing services out there. Um, you know, in the UK, we have a 24-hour um, national domestic abuse helpline. Um, you know, that is manned um, by trained professionals um, around the clock. Um, so I, I would say to anyone, if you can, if you have the strength to do so, to please start a conversation whether that's with a friend or a family member or with a professional service, 
please make that call and speak up. Um, because once someone knows what you are experiencing, then they can help you find the right support. Rosie, I have a, a very vital question I would like to ask you today. How can employers take action on domestic abuse? It's a really good question, Grace, and a really important one to ask, particularly as, uh, you know, uh, we find ourselves working from home again. Um, and for those who are experiencing abuse, um, the, the workplace is no longer a safe space because that workplace is trapped at home with an abuser. So um, something that we worked on during the pandemic, um, which is a very useful aid for employers, um, is we co-created a domestic abuse policy for businesses. Um, we did that um, by working in partnership with the Employers Initiative on Domestic Abuse, or IDA, as they're also known, and um, with HR Dept, who are a network of franchisees who provide outsourced HR services across the UK. And actually, crucially, Sharon's policy was, um, as it's known, Sharon's policy, it was informed by Sharon Livermore, who um, is an expert by experience. So when Sharon um, was experiencing domestic abuse, she was asked by her employer at the time to take five days annual leave to attend court um, in a case which actually saw her abuser jailed. Um, and Sharon is now a very successful businesswoman. Um, she owns a recruitment company, um, Cameo Recruitment, in Cambridgeshire. And she was determined after her experience that no other employee would be made to take annual leave um, um, to attend court. Um, and in her experience, that five days annual leave was most certainly not a holiday. Um, so her experience of domestic abuse has informed the creation of Sharon's policy. And that is now a free resource. So anyone can download that. Any business owner can download that. It's available via um, IDA's website. Um, Grace, I'll send you a link to that later so you can um, perhaps include that for listeners if, if they want to, to go and visit it. It's free to become an IDA member if you are a business owner. So no hidden cost here. Become an IDA member. You can download an entire toolkit of resources to help you um, identify and spot the signs of abuse amongst your workforce and um, provide support um, and signposting for anyone in the workforce who may be experiencing it. Thank you for mentioning this resource. Oh, you're very welcome. And actually, what when we launched that policy back in um, March, what um, the groundswell of support that we had for it um, throughout IDA's membership was absolutely um, immense. It was overwhelming almost. Um, and following the launch of that policy, um, we uh, started working with the Retail Trust if you don't know anything about them, they're a charity in the UK. Um, they've been around for many, many years, and they represent the health and well-being of around 3 million people in the UK who work in or are retired from the retail sector. It's a massive sector for um, employment in the UK. And they have a helpline, and we have established a referral pathway between the councillors on their helpline and our service so that anyone who calls that helpline who discloses domestic abuse can be referred to us for immediate legal support. And together with the Retail Trust, we launched a campaign 
urging other retailers to take action on domestic abuse. Exactly the question you asked me, how can I take action on domestic abuse as an employer? And I'm really pleased to tell you that around 25 very big name retailers, and we're talking IKEA, Primark, the Hutt Group, um, B&Q, Dunelm, in fact, Dunham was the launch partner for this very important campaign. Um, and now those organisations are taking active steps to embed domestic abuse policies within their workplace and to provide proper support and signposting to any employees who may disclose it. So people now start feeling a bit safer to voice out their fears and um, whatever is going on for them privately at home. Absolutely, and I think this is something else that the pandemic has heightened is that almost like the greying of the professional and personal space because people are working from home, they're in their own homes. They're conduct you know, I'm in my own home today conducting, um, I don't consider this to be work though, this is a, um, an amazing conversation, but um, I'm in, you know, I'm in my home um, carrying out work every day, and I think. Previously, employers may have felt like they were crossing a line to inquire into um, into an area that they may have felt uh, was an employee's personal life. But actually, you know, um, and again, I, you know, I don't like to sort of churn out stats and numbers, but tackling domestic abuse, Grace, is not just a moral imperative. And actually, um, home office figures show, the latest home office figures show that 1.3% billion pounds was spent on dealing with domestic abuse in England and Wales and actually that was in 2016-17 that's 10% of the policing budget and um, you know uh, lost economic output and productivity as a result of domestic abuse is costing the country 14 billion pounds so you know there is um, a huge part that businesses and employers can can play in tackling um, not only that economic problem, but far more importantly, the moral problem of domestic abuse. Those figures, they don't actually include um, around the, around an additional £50 million, pounds, that's a home office estimate, that actually is the cost of physical and emotional harm um, for someone uh, who's receiving abuse. So we're talking, you know, huge figures here um and you know um and and now with the workforce working from home it absolutely should be a report an employer's responsibility to provide the right support so in terms of individual um loss when we're talking about one particular individual at the uh, working place or workforce what do you think is the loss financially uh, that's a very good point, um, because when we're talking figures in the billions of pounds, it's difficult to equate that to an individual. But um, some research that was conducted by KPMG for Vodafone in 2019 um, found that actually lost productivity and absence from the workplace, um, which is linked to domestic abuse, um, can result in significant economic losses for businesses and actually the potential loss of earnings for a, a woman experiencing abuse is around £5,800 per year. Wow, that's a huge figure though. Absolutely, and you know, um, 
going back to our earlier conversation around technology, um, some of the, the data that's emerging now around home working patterns um, in the UK um, showed that people who responded um, to a survey about working from home, um, it was this was actually a survey that was conducted by Surviving Economic Abuse, the charity Surviving Economic Abuse, and um, many people who responded to that highlighted that actually, in fact, it was almost one in two respondents highlighted that their abuser had interfered with their ability to work or study from home during the pandemic. And some of the examples that were given included hiding phones, hiding computers, disconnecting a Wi-Fi, um, or even in some cases, phoning an employer to claim a breach of lockdown rules in an apparent effort to get them sacked. So, you know, the control, if anything, is the control element of perpetrators has been, um, you know, exacerbated during the pandemic. They've had even more tools at their fingertips. Very frightening. Thank you, Rosie, for that insight. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Rosie, for coming on this podcast. And hopefully... In the new year, we'll be collaborating the more. I hope so, Grace. I look forward to it. Thank you very much for having me today. And thanks to all of your listeners who tune in. Um, and I hope it's been interesting. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's episode, kindly subscribe, listen, share, and leave a review. Thank you so much. And see you in the next episode. Enjoy your Christmas. Have a wonderful 2022. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I appreciate all my listeners for subscribing, commenting and reviewing the podcast. Continue to push. Push on and never give up. Thank you and see you in the next episode. Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast. I'm your host, Grace Osborne. Thank you for joining me on this exciting journey.